It's Thursday, July 27th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 451 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 28 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Carla. And this is Wayne. All right, so we're going to give you a little bit of a short episode this week because we are heading straight from this recording to grab some food really quick and then to try and see Pat in the hospital before uh, visiting hours end because I'm not sure it's my place to go into the details, but they've admitted him early uh, and are going to be doing his surgery within the next couple of days. So we want to get out there and have some time to spend with him. So we're going to cut things a little bit short this week just to make sure we have the time to do that. I do have a topic, though, I want to talk about. Came from my online Star Wars game last night. And is it square squiggly ups- <laughs> upside down? <laughs> no, this is not more uh, hieroglyphics. <laughs> though the system is growing on me, I still find the dice rather impenetrable. But the system, I mean, it, it does work. All right. But here's what it is about. So usually when I enter into a game, I have one of a couple views on character death, player character death. So if I'm playing a dungeon crawl, high violence, whatever, one of those sorts of games, I expect that death is on the table because it's the nature of the game. I mean, there might be some role playing, but it's fundamentally a tactical or exploration sort of game. If I go into a game that's more high role play, And I know the game master is an above board sort of cutthroat roller, someone like John, then I'm going to be much more reserved in the way that I create my characters because I know that death is on the table and I'm accepting that. And (laughs) (laughs) Carla has Gizmo on the table and he's snoring for some reason. Can we get the mic in there? Can we? The ongoing caveat is whenever Carla's on the mics, so are all of the animals. Yeah, usually (laughs) when we record, the animals who have to be with a human being stay with Carla and we lock them out of the room. But since Carla's in here, there are three dogs and a cat in this recording studio now. So animal noises are just an inevitable part of it's almost on cue we start talking about the animals and here comes kitty sexy walking across the table (laughs) so anyway it's an above board roller but i know it's more of a cutthroat game then i make my characters a bit differently you know i'll role play but i'm going to go more for quirks and maybe a little bit of ham on the character and i'm not going to put the same detail or nuance into it because i know the character is likely not going to survive all that long and i I don't want to see that flushed so if we talk about that narrow band of games where it's high rp and combat's not the focus and the gm is an above the board roller but i don't know that they're cutthroat right i have a sense that their general intention is to keep the character alive would this be kind of related to how complicated the star trek game like when you're building your character in star trek like if you were to like die you spend like four hours writing that character (laughs) so it's like back to square one or do you just like pick back up with someone and giving them the same stats and cut all that out well i mean you can but even outside of a game like star trek or another one that has really long characterization like traveler you still have the time that you've put into the background the personality so even if the character is really quick to roll up 
there might be a whole lot more thought that's put into the details of who this character is and how they express themselves. You know, who it is as a person. Some of that might have come out in the first couple games as well. As uh, you've got now history with the group. I could see that with like mm-hmm. if you have a character that you really get mm-hmm. into and you actually get a voice mm-hmm. down or mm-hmm. an accent or something, mm-hmm. and then that character dies mm-hmm. and it's just hard for you to to have to get back into a different mm-hmm. one when you did so well. Mm-hmm. And I keep laughing because mm-hmm. Gizmo's snoring yeah, again. He's snoring on the yeah. table. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Anyway, mm-hmm. so, so last night I mm-hmm. I don't know where to get a serious mm-hmm. episode out of this. Mm-hmm. People get a kick out of it. So last night, all right, this is kind of a, this is probably the silliest regular episode we've ever had. But so last night I was in a situation in the star Wars game where we're playing rebel characters, really ostensibly rebel characters. And we had gotten into an Imperial facility under with false IDs and things like that. And the way the fantasy flight system works is you have, a duty or an obligation or, or some kind of driving motivation to your character that you actually put on record. So you say, for example, I always protect the weak. And what they do is at the start of each game, they roll against those obligations. And if one of them comes up, then that gives the GM kind of a clue that that's what he or she is supposed to sort of focus on or, or put into that game somewhere. Okay, that's kind of interesting. I haven't seen that in a system. It sounds a little bit like high concept, but yes, like from fate, but you don't roll for that or right. anything. But imagine if that spotlight got rolled. Okay, so even if the plan for the the narrative side of the game is, let's say, Wayne, we're going to spotlight your character or whatever, spotlight some theme. Maybe it's not a character, but if I roll Carla's obligation or duty or it has a couple different names then that's going to still figure into the game somewhere. All right, so my character, the background that I wrote, is he is a Force user hunter who previously worked for the Empire and now has left the Empire and has grown kind of disillusioned with it. His obligation is something called placard hunter. And what a placard hunter is, it's an actual term for anyone who's not familiar with it, It means somebody who specifically hunts high-value targets, all right? So if you were a placard hunter in World War I, you're going for the Red Baron. Okay. All right, so this is what a placard hunter is. So in the case of my character, the placard that he's hunting is Jedi, or Force users in general. I shouldn't say Jedi. It could be Jedi, Light Jedi, Dark Jedi, Sith, whatever. He's after Force users in general. He sees it as a form of protecting the weak, the weak being the non-force users. So before the game, Ed rolls those dice, and it comes up that, number one, an obligation is going to come into play. Number two, that it is going to be mine. And number three, I don't understand how the dice are rolled exactly, but there's some mechanic where you can apparently roll on the two dice that you roll, you roll the same number or something Mm. like that, and that means that it's supposed to come into view in a big way. So when we go into the game, this means that my placard hunter thing is going to get screwed with majorly. But on a balancing mechanic to that, I get a whole bunch of additional wounds. All right, so my character, not not inflicted on me, but wounds that I can withstand. So okay. in a D&D terms, this would be like, Wayne, you get 10 or 20 bonus hit points this game. 
and everyone else in the party also got bonus wounds. Not as many as I did, but everybody got some number of bonus wounds across the board. How Ed chose to manifest this is when we were on this facility posing as Imperial people, I decided to go with the cover of posing as something called Compnor, which is part of the expanded universe, and it's it's like the brown shirts of the Empire, that I am there to make sure that everyone is sufficiently loyal, <laughs> and I, I have this kind of nebulous, I'm looking for treachery kind of thing. But I don't have any specific leads. I'm just a thought police kind of person. So everyone there is, you know, really intimidated and really spooked because it's not even exactly clear what I'm looking for. I could just point at someone and say, you know what, I don't think you're loyal enough or something and haul them off to a re-education camp or kill them on the spot or whatever hideous thing I, I have carte blanche to do. And in the middle of this, an Inquisitor shows up. All right, now this is another expanded universe thing. But what an Inquisitor is, is they are force hunters like what my character used to be with one major difference. I work for Imperial Intelligence. The Inquisitors are themselves force users or at least force sensitive. So a lot of the expanded universe is out of canon. Yes. Inquisitors are in canon. They uh, they were in Rebels. So they are officially still a thing. Force using Inquisitors hunting down force users. Yes, exactly. So these are dark Jedi that report straight to someone really high up in Imperial Command, like Vader. And they go out hunting down other Force users. So it's a Force-using equivalent of what I was. And so we're immediately confronted with a Dark Jedi, and my motivation of Placard Hunter is on the table, right? Which is something I've committed to do. And we had succeeded in our original mission which was to get somebody to help us figure out where some high-end goods were going from the Empire to build ships elsewhere. Long story, won't bore you with it. But we had flipped two pilots, convinced them to join the Rebellion, and were on our way out, and they were about to leave shortly after us. But now we've had a new problem, because there's a damned mind reader on this base now. And we flipped these two, right? So this Inquisitor is going to know... If she walks past these two pilots, you know, she's going to be able to read their minds and know what it is they're intending to do. So she's there sniffing out treachery exactly as I was pretending to do, but she's doing it for real. These guys are screwed. All right. So here comes the confrontation here. This is what I'm building up to. I go up into the flight deck before we leave, which is where this inquisitor is now hanging out. She's in like the control tower. And I, I start confronting her and basically get into this thing with her because she's not human. And so I decide to play this angle that as Compnor, right, as a brown shirt, she's not pure enough. So she may be a force user. She may report to someone way up in Imperial Command. But because she's an alien, I don't think she really gets the Imperial vision. And I'm afraid that she's going to have a soft spot for aliens. And she may not notice the nascent treachery of aliens, right? The fact that they're more likely to switch to the rebellion. Now, I don't know. None of this is true, right? She's actually 100% loyal to the empire, but that's the angle I take in an attempt to put her on her heels or at least piss her off. She's a 
you know, Sith or whatever, piss her off at least enough to confuse the situation. So hopefully she's not paying any attention when these two pilots try to leave. Now, through this whole thing, though, I had no idea if Ed would kill my character or not. Now, unlike the, the D20 version of the rules, it's my understanding the Fantasy Flight version, Force users are not balanced to regular characters. I, I don't know for sure. I've never actually played this system with a Force user before. This is my second time playing the Fantasy Flight Star Wars game, but neither of these have I played or, or been in a party with a Force user. So I don't know how powerful Force user is exactly, but I've been told... Unlike the D20 version, they are not balanced to other characters. So if it comes to a fight, I may have some tiny chance of winning. But in all probability, this is not going to go down in Django Fett versus Obi-Wan fashion. That's probably not the fight that's going to occur. It's going to look a lot more like a one-man version of Vader boarding Leia's ship. And with one guy with a gun trying to stand up to this woman. And it was a really, really weird moment because I typically go into a game already having an understanding of how disposable I believe my character to be or how accepting I am of the idea of this character's death. And yet sitting there in that moment, I knew that I was antagonizing the Sith character. And I was doing it, one, because my placard hunter thing was supposed to be on the table. I had made the character committing that I would stick to that and Ed invoked it or the dice invoked it, however you want to look at it. And then secondly, I felt it was the best shot we had of trying to get this Inquisitor off task so that she wouldn't notice the thoughts of these two pilots when they go to leave. And the whole time I'm doing it, I have no idea if I'm going to survive. Yet at the same time, having not thought about this, I was strangely okay with it. Despite it being a high RP game, a character I'd put some thought into, if Ed had killed my character, I was strangely at peace with it. How many characters have you lost in your games? Like, is this? I'm guessing it's a non-common issue. A lot of people don't allow their characters to die. That's the, the worst thing that could happen, is how it, I've perceived it. So I'm just curious, like for both of you guys, how many times you've lost characters in games? Well, I know early on, I didn't want my characters to die. I put a lot of effort into them and all that. As I've gamed longer, I'm more and more open to it. I like creating new characters, and I think if it's a good death, I will always roll with it because it'll forward the story. I have had two characters die. One of them got his head kicked in while he was in a mech, <laughs> and the other one was killed when a fireball went wild in a 5e game. So Dan and John. I like this character. And so I don't per se want to see the character go. And if the character had died, I'm not sure it would have been a dramatic or big. It wasn't a big story moment, right? It would have been just another casualty of war. And a major theme of the game is not the banality of death and war. Okay. So it would have been, I think, very off theme and out of pace. So the, the death would not have, I think, felt like, for example the death of your character in the Battletech game would have. Carla, to answer your question, if we take conventions off the table, because... Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not counting conventions. I'm talking, like, long-lasting campaigns. Right, so if we only look at long-lasting campaigns, I've had not many characters die. I mean, I've been gaming for almost 30 years now, 
And in that time, I've maybe had half dozen, dozen characters die. And within that number, there's not been many where I felt the death was fair. Yeah, I said I've had two, and in one case, the entire party died. So well. he wasn't alone, and it ended the campaign. <laughs> it was a so. TPK. Okay, yeah, and I. Does that stand for total party kill? Total party kill, yeah. <laughs> T- <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> TPK, yeah, it's, it's when the entire party dies at once. That's gonna <laughs> suck. And <laughs> it was the end of this the campaign. This is the best game ever, and we're dead. And yeah, somebody <laughs> drops a fireball at your feet. I it was it wasn't a group I was in, but there's someone that was gaming in the campaign they told me about and man this was this is was a really stupid group but they would target their spells off of friendly targets so it'd be like if i'm going to drop a fireball i would target it off of somebody who was they the trying to do the like the whole wow. square enix combined powers type no, they thing. were just they were just <laughs> they were either morons or ass- so I'm not sure which. Maybe a little both. Glass holes. Glass holes. <laughs> and then I saw that in the news again today. Or, or mass holes if we, <laughs> yeah. if we port Montel the two. But I, the answer to your question is not many characters of mine have died. And of those that have died, there have not been many of those where I felt the death was fair. Because I always felt that the game master either was cheating in terms of the numbers or was cheating in terms of the situation. The situation was obvious BS. And in many of those cases, I was either able to demonstrate the Game Master cheated, or the Game Master I told me they had cheated. Mm-hmm. That they just wanted to kill my character for one reason or another. And so in terms of character deaths I've had that I also felt were fair, maybe two in 30 years? Wow. I mean, it's not many. Yeah, I was going to say, it, does, it sounds like it's always a negative thing when you lose your character that people just hate when that happens. I assumed it's because they don't want to roll up another yeah. character. And I think Stranger Things even started out that way, where one of his characters died in their D&D game that they're playing or whatever, and he went like crazy because he lost his character. Well, he if would I... have. They, they retconned it because they left on that. He rolled the die. That's right. And missed. And... That was what was necessary to stop that the demigorgon from yeah, killing the party. Right. And they simply didn't evaluate the die roll because the game got interrupted. And then when they re-rolled it later, he actually did roll a hit and they just went with that instead. Good GMing, by the way. Great, great way for the, the, the GM to maintain momentum. But it was odd because of the fact that if Ed had done the battle between me and this this Dark Jedi, if I understand the fantasy flight system correctly, the odds would have been wildly against me. And if I had died, I was strangely satisfied with that. Once again, having not previously had a come to Jesus moment about this. Yeah. I've seen death of characters in campaigns be an incredible thing. So, you know, the BattleTech game that became the source of that session and it helped redirect the campaign at that point. Uh, in a superhero game, we did a story arc where it was an alternate reality. And one of the players decided specifically, I want there to be consequences. I don't want this to just be, we finish it, fix reality, and then everything's back good as new. So he went to the GM and said, I want my character to die. <laughs> and it became a well, a story point. It fits well within comic books, too, because... A lot of comic alternate realities center around what if so-and-so either died or didn't die. It wasn't the whole Flashpoint paradox that Flash is, was it his mom? He saved his mom. He saved his mom. 
and that completely derails the future universe. Yeah, in this case, it was once everything was fixed, that's when he wanted his character to die, and he created a new character afterwards because he wanted there to be a consequence of the alternate reality having been fixed. He just didn't want it to be one another one of those stories where, oh, we time-traveled and we fixed everything. Right. Well, but yeah, but those anytime you have time travel, it, it, there's just so many loopholes and things mm. that can happen. I would just want my character dead because I wouldn't want to deal with any of that. You know, it's just like, let's just say it's and chapter end and let's just move on because time travel always makes it. It's just too much to keep up with all the time. Oh, it is. I, I still want to be in a game that has time travel involved. I've got ideas for it. You really have to put some things. Right. Well, would you want to run that rails, game or just play it? Either. Okay. I would never want to run a game like that. It's just too many variables. Well, but there's infinite variables because they can change and change again. Oh, and they changed again. <laughs> yeah, it can get absolutely insane, but I think it would be fun if you have yeah. the right group. I would love to run a game where it's basically time cops <laughs> where you're going through time as police. Yeah, we. I did play in a setting that had that. It was not a, a game that I was running, but a guy that we used to game with had homebrewed a science fiction setting and it had an organization. I forget what they were called, but that was what their specific thing was, was they would go throughout history and they would pick out individuals that they thought were the best thinkers, the best fighters or whatever, Mm -hmm. and would put them into their organization. And then in turn, they would police time. And they had two things they were after. One was people that were trying to screw with time. But then the other thing was, they were also trying to sort of prune time. It's like, okay, this huge apocalyptic event happens, so we're simply not going to allow it to happen. And they change. And I know this introduces all kinds of paradoxes yep. and contradictions and such that I don't think the game really dealt with. It was, it was more pulpy than that. It was just kind of, you know, it's just, it's just not that way now. And you just sort of rolled with it. I, I don't think it had that level <laughs> of Rolled deep. with it. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I would have fun exploring that because I'm, I'm a guy that likes time travel stories. I would have things happen where they go back in time, they meet somebody, they have a conversation, and when they go back, everything's different. Mm-hmm. And why is everything different? What did they do? And they'd have to figure out what they did to change history. So, Wayne, have you ever played the Back to the Future card game? Yeah. Where, for anyone who hasn't played it, there's a Back to the Future card game. I think, it is it a Flux game? I think it's a Flux game. I think you're right. I th- it's Looney Labs, but it's not Flux. Okay, so it's a Looney oh, Labs game and not Flux. Sorry. I but think. what you do is you lay out all of these events that all affect one another. So this guy, you know, Biff gets elected or whatever, and so then he does this, and then this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and some of them interrelate and some of them don't. And if you get a time machine, you can change those events within, which then cascades events that are related to it. Yeah, I lo- it reminded me a lot of Chrononauts. Yes, and I love. It's actually Chrononauts. based on. I believe it's actually based on Chrononauts. I think it actually may be a reskinning of Chrononauts. Yeah, Chrononauts is a card game where you lay out the history. They have it a couple different periods, but you can go from uh, you basically all of the 20th century can be covered. And I think one of the expansions goes further back than that. And you were playing a time traveler from the future, from a reality. You have a card that tells you these are the events that have to happen for your reality to exist. And then you have a goal. Your goal could be, I want to steal 
all of the cake from history. <laughs> and it, there's individual items that you can get or, you know, things like that. Like I want the, these major works of art. Hmm. So you have to steal them from different time periods. And it's the do same thing. To, do you need to know history to play that game or is it pretty well written nope, out on the cards? It's all on the cards. And then you flip things like uh, instead of the, the Boston Tea Party, you flip that. I don't remember what it becomes. I think if I was going to run a time travel game, that's how I would have to do it, is have this sort of grid of you have the base timeline right. across the bottom, year one, year 10, year 20, year 30, what, I don't know, however it works. And then off the top are these chains of related events. And then that would give me a baseline for trying to figure out, okay, at this epoch of time, Wayne changed this event, and so that, it, it gives me something to look at right. to see, okay, it would cascade here, and it's probably not going to affect this, but it's definitely going to affect these other events, and so these bits of the future also now have to cascade. I'd be whiteboarding it out like primer. Right, well, that's what I was going to say. You almost have to do the work up front, because if you didn't have that all pre-planned, then there's really no good way you could run the, I mean, you're just grabbing, you know, you're doing a lot of that work up front, and that's where then the game will run more smoothly, Yeah, I think you're putting for, parameters around it. Yeah, for a really fun time travel game like we're describing, it would take a lot of work. Yeah. I don't think I would want to play in, like, if a Chad were running it. Because he would do a lot on the fly. I don't think you can. Yeah, but it's... I need more from that type of game. Structure. More details, more structures yeah. than I think he would want to bring. Although he has a pretty good grasp on history, so he could wing a little bit more of it if it's set in a real world. Right. Setting. Well, but if the time travel's perpetual, though, there's so much to keep track of. Right. Yep. That's where I think Chad would, would lose the plot, both figuratively and literally. <laughs> is trying to keep track of all of the things that have impacted one another. Because I have played in and run games where time travel occurred, but it was a singular event. Right. You travel back in time or forward in time, one and done. And so you have to think about it, but then you can lose sight of it pretty quickly because the farther you get from that moment of time travel, the less and less it matters and the more and more you're just writing new history. It's not as if you're constantly changing things up. Yeah, and what I'd like to see is a game where you are constantly moving and making small changes. Or maybe at the first session, you've just utterly screwed up, and you spend the entire rest of the campaign trying to get your world back. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what happens when you steal all the cake in, this, in history. <laughs> all right, well, I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. So like I said, we need to get down to the hospital and spend some time with Pat while we're able to. So thank you guys for tuning in, and hopefully if all things go well, we will be back with a much more typical show next week, both in terms of length and focus and presence of animals. So, <laughs> oh, people love the animals. So, so have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. Bye. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.